Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What up, Fightful fam? Welcome to 1-2 Punch. Player 1, Shaquille Madjoy. Player 2, it's Coach Kavanaugh's favorite media member, Zane Simon, editor over at Bloody Elbow. How's it going, sir? Shout out to all my FBG fans. I'm, you know, I couldn't be more honored to be one of the favorites for one of the great talents in the MMA industry. And, uh, yeah, thank you for having me on. Yes, man. It's an honor. I was telling you uh, off the air. It's funny. We work together. I mean, we still do to an extent over with uh, the Combat Culture YouTube channel, but we work together for year, two years. I can't even remember anymore, but uh, this is the first time we've done anything on camera together, so I'm very excited. Uh, for those of you who are tuning in, as per usual, thank you for joining us. Your support means the world. First-time listeners, this is One Two Punch. It's news talk on a win-lose-draw system. What that means is we're going to sign the week's biggest winners and losers before drawing up a little preview for UFC Vegas 17. Winners, losers, just whose stock went up, whose stock went down. We mean no shade unless it's towards the Paul brothers. Now, without further ado, let me hit this animated intro. And there we go. As Luke Thomas would say, some housekeeping notes. Please hit subscribe, tap the notification bell. Those go so far to helping our channel grow. We're really close to our 3,000 subscriber goal for the end of the year. Help us get there. A thumbs up on this video also helps us get in front of more eyeballs. Hit us up in the chat, guys. Leave one super chat donation, any amount, a dollar, a thousand. I have my preference, but it's all good. That'll get all your questions and statements read from start to finish. That's enough of me chilling out. Zane, let's get to it, my man. First things right. first. I hate to start here, but we kind of have to. Has anyone in the combat sports world gotten more buzz this week than Jake Paul? No, absolutely not. I mean, you know, I I joked when he was fighting on the Tyson-Roy Jones Jr. undercard that Jake Paul versus Nate Robinson was the most notable fight between prime athletes that week. And, uh, I, you know, he's still kind of making... He's making more more waves than pretty much anybody else out there right now. And uh, it sucks, but the man's a true celebrity, so. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? He is a modern-day yep. celebrity. Uh, I do have to, like, so, you know, we give him the plus here because it seems like, I don't know if those DMs from Connor were legit, but it seems like he's finally getting the Notorious One's attention. Now I've got this Dylan Dennis feud brewing. Brendan Schaub and Below the Belt seem to have their fingers in the pot there, too. Uh, below the belt put out this video and it was you know a three camera angle of dylan danis getting pelted with all sorts of garbage that video you know i kind of believed that this was authentic when i first saw it but the way below the belt pieced that together it kind of looks staged where are you right now in terms of the authenticity of that encounter i mean i hope it's authentic not because i think that the paul brothers are going to do anything that has a scrap of authenticity to it but you're talking about winners and losers here and if it isn't authentic 
then man, did Dylan Dennis really make himself look like a huge loser for zero payoff? Uh, Elaborate on that. Is it based on his reaction? Is the fact that he got covered in crap and didn't get his one up and like why is Dylan Dennis a loser? It's just, I mean, Dylan Dennis is so you know people noted this. Dylan Dennis has tried so hard to insert himself into that kind of Mm -hmm. cult of personality media sphere where he gets he gets recognized just for being loud and annoying um and so to have somebody just kind of like pull up on him prank him and run off and share it all over like it really is just it's like having a bully get his pants pulled down in the middle of the auditorium (laughs) you know like it, it's yeah he might be getting some more notoriety for it but it really is only humiliating and it's more humiliating too because the man hasn't fought in like two years so like jake paul people are at least like oh yeah he did some stupid shit and he might go fight somebody in the next two months mm-hmm. dylan dennis uh, did he even fight anymore i don't know what dylan dennis does what is dylan dennis's pro mma record at this point it's two and okay let me say this i got some flack for bringing this up on uh Fightful Fix recap that I did, but I was sort of gauging Jake Paul's possible opponents post-Nate Robinson, and four names he mentioned were uh, Conor McGregor, Jorge Masvidal, Ben Askren, and Dylan Dennis. I got some flack for this, but am I crazy for believing that Jake Paul versus Nate, uh, Jake Paul versus Dylan Dennis could be competitive? Because One's got a 2-0 record in MMA. One's got a 2-0 record in boxing at this point. Obviously not against any meaningful competition. But I saw that footage of Jake Paul put in a work on AJ Agazarm. And I just don't know if Dylan Danis's pure boxing is actually any good. Oh, I, I, I thought when you, said, when you said that you would be out of line for thinking he's competitive, I thought you meant for Dylan Danis. Honestly, <laughs> like... If they're going to box, I'm not going to pick Dylan Dennis to win a boxing match. It would be like picking Ben Askren to outbox Jake Paul. Nobody That's what pick. I got shit for, is for saying that Jake Paul would outbox Ben Askren. What? Oh, my God. Do we have to go through this whole Damian Maya thing again where some 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 jackass was like, there's no evidence that Ben Askren's a worse boxer than Damian Maya. Yeah, except in all of the footage of, De- of Ben Askren ever throwing a punch. Mm-hmm. Man, boxes like Ronda Rousey. Come on. <laughs> okay, so let, let's wrap up this Jake Paul talk because people will kill us. I do have to say, you know, having analyzed now Jake versus Ben, Jake versus Dylan, if anything, Jake is a bigger winner now more than ever. I don't think he's going to get a Conor McGregor fight. And just he's like with Floyd Logan, it's not going to go the- well for them. Yeah. But if we get Jake Paul out of Dylan versus Dylan Dennis on this, and Jake Paul, you and I are saying, could very possibly win that fight. I, I wouldn't pick Dylan Dennis to win it. I would have to see Dylan Dennis do anything even close to winning YouTuber that kind of fight. Jake Paul now has wins 3-0 and in boxing, including over an actual undefeated MMA fighter. <laughs> Who has ties to Conor McGregor? Like, Jake Paul is cashed in on all of this in a big way. Oh, yeah. No, I mean... The dude is a complete, you know, complete trash, but he has tapped into the zeitgeist of being trashy and loud, and people are eating it up. Love it. Okay, let's move on to some more UFC-centric stuff. First, I want to touch on, you know, uh, the the news came out, I think approximately four days ago, Yoel Romero signs with Bellator after Scott Coker initially didn't really seem too interested in in the possibility, mm. and we're at a really interesting place, right? Because following Vadim Nemkov's win over Ryan Bader, you had Scott Coker claiming that the Bellator's light heavyweight division was superior to that of the UFC. Dana White obviously brushes that off, but now that John Jones is technically no longer a top five ranked, or at all a ranked light heavyweight, and you have Anthony Rumble Johnson and Yoel Romero plying their trade at 205, where do you think the debate currently lies? Because I'd argue it's pretty close right now. I mean, the, the thing with the UFC, and they're always going to technically win this argument. Mm-hmm. Because Bellator's, like, the quality Bellator has has nothing to do with the future. You know? Having Phil Davis, having... uh 
Ryan Bader, having Yoel Romero, having um, Anthony Johnson, having these people, it, you know, it, it would be kind of, it's a, it's better than claiming that Bellator had the best middleweight division when they or like the best light heavyweight division or something when they had like Tito Ortiz and Rampage Jackson. But the philosophy is still the same that you're hiring guys that might give you two or three or four big fights in the immediate mm-hmm. future. And then after that, you're just looking, you know, you're scraping back to whatever fresh collegiate wrestler who's never fought in MMA before is looking to build a career or whatever the other, you know, talented guy from another combat sport who's first trying his baby steps into MMA. Like, those are the people that Bellator is headhunting and that they're going to get. And the building the building and success rate on that is slow and poor. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a good gimmick at the moment. It's It'll make some fun fights, but it's not going to... Your young talent, your prodigies, your people that are going to be highly competitive elite fighters in the future are still in the UFC, you know? I'd, I'd counter a little and just to say, I think Bellator has done a better job as of late about picking and choosing when to bring in these veteran guys. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, you know, I think AJ McKee is probably Bellator's biggest success story right now uh, as yeah. it heads towards that Grand Prix final. Uh where do you think, let's say, let's say we have a future where Jan Blachowicz, I, I want to eliminate Izzy because I think if Jan Blachowicz beats Israel at Dishonor, this isn't an argument. But let's say that fight doesn't happen and you have Jan Blachowicz beat Glover Teixeira and a couple more of the contenders at light heavyweight. And Vadim Nemkov is able to beat these other guys, Corey Anderson, Yoel, Anthony Rumble Johnson. Do you think that independent conversation, Jan Blachowicz, Vadim Nemkov is closer? Uh, sure, I mean... Jan has kind of constructed himself into an elite, an elite light heavyweight by being one of the only guys who throws a jab at light heavyweight. And it makes it, it's brought him a title. It's, it, you can't knock it, but I would be shocked if Jan Blahovich was still light heavyweight champ by the end of next year. You know, like the, the dominance, the physical dominance, the technical depth, the creativity, things like that they're not they're not so outstanding in his game that I think if he has to fight, you know, like Magomed Ankalaev or even uh oh the big Austrian Alexander Rakic mm-hmm. or, you know, fighters like that, if he's consistently facing like three or four of those guys in a row, then he's gonna walk away winning every one of those fights. It's not it's not something even over his own career that Blahovich has tech has tended to do. As we, because we got a lot of winners this week, I want to touch on two guys coming out of UFC 256. Uh, the first that I want to touch on, of course, Charles Oliveira with a dominant one-sided win that was apparent to everyone except Tony Ferguson, uh, who seems to think that he had Charles Oliveira mentally stumped after round one. Not sure how he got there. It it, it is notable because I and I think I see where you're going with this, but it should be noted that at least his own mind. Tony Ferguson is never going to be on the loser side of your conversations. Yeah, we should get Tony on here and have that conversation 100%. Uh, Charles Oliveira puts himself in a position where I think he is not getting a title shot, but he is one fight away. Uh, Maybe, maybe under the circumstance that Dana is able to convince Habib to take one more fight and we can't get a super fight like GSP. Maybe then, I don't know, because you don't really have anyone else that Habib would be willing to fight. Because uh, he's beat all of them, with the exception of Michael Chandler, who hasn't fought in the UFC. But let's say he's one win away. Man, how good is Charles Oliveira? Do you think he's the biggest threat to the lightweight crown? Like, in a situation where Habib retires and we set up some sort of tournament, where would you place him in the pecking order of who you think would win? Well, it's kind of... I mean, it's kind of a hard question in some ways, because there are people that he's already lost to in the past. You know, there are fights that... Charles Oliveira has already failed to win that it has been hasn't been a while now since those fights happened but you know the the guy who lost to Paul Felder are we totally sure that that guy is 100% gone you know mm-hmm. do you think he is? um 
similarly, but yeah, I mean, Charles Oliveira has made himself an incredibly dangerous opponent. He's rounded out his striking game to a point that his confidence doesn't seem to get checked at any point. Mm -hmm. And as long as his confidence isn't checked, then he's an incredibly technical, dangerous grappler and a good, very confident striker who can walk through shots to land his own shots, create his own offense. And has one of the the game's most underrated grappling games. And I think if you're looking at guys, you know, if you're looking at guys like Dustin Poirier and Justin Gagey and uh, Michael Chandler right now as your sort of lightweight elite class, and, you know, you could include Conor McGregor in there, but honestly, guessing when and who and how Conor McGregor is going to fight is not really, like, you could, you know, Conor McGregor is, he's kind of the, he's the side attraction that's going to get brought in every now and then when he sees a fight he really likes. But if you're like, oh yeah, Conor McGregor is going to beat Dustin Poirier and then he's going to fight Justin Gagey, like maybe in two years, <laughs> you know, like there's no. Careful, Zane, Coach Kavanaugh could be watching. Oh yeah, no, I'll, I'll temper it a little. This wonderful, this wonderful man, this paragon of virtue and class, who knows when he's going to fight again. So, I, yeah, I mean, Oliveira is, like, where he ranks among those people, it's kind of hard to tell, because if he ended up just, like, in a striking match with Gagey or mm-hmm. Dustin Poirier, would I pick him outright? No, but if he can get those fight, if he can do to them what he did to Tony Ferguson, then there's a real threat there. I'm, the- I'm always happy to see Charles Oliveira win, and right now it's just honestly like I think you're splitting hairs between the lightweight elite right now. You're in that situation where it's kind of like, and I know lightweights never. Well, yeah, I mean it, it's kind of like after Anderson Silva left the or got beat out of the middleweight championship, mm-hmm. out of the middleweight title. And suddenly it's like, okay, well, Chris Weidman's pretty good, but so is Luke Rockhold, mm-hmm. and turns out so is Michael Bisping. And, you know, there are every every elite middleweight is suddenly just within a razor's edge of one another. And I think when you're looking at Poirier, Gagey, Oliveira, Chandler, that's that's what you're looking at. You know, they could all get wins off of one another on any given night. It's a, it's a good problem to have in terms of matchmaking because you got endless combinations yeah. of fun fights. Not the best situation if you're looking to uh, really push someone as a star. And I think it's interesting. I have I have this editorial I've been meaning to write for years, and now it's sort of obsolete because there was a time where we were getting away from the dominant champions because in so many divisions we had this exact problem that you're talking mm-hmm. about where the guys were so competitive. And it's weird. All of a sudden, you know, 2019, 2020, we've re-entered an era where you have basically undefeated champions top to down with the exception of a loss or two on the records um yeah. regarding charles Oliveira, the, the justin gaethje fight strikes me as super interesting because coming out of that habib fight we see someone who up until that point we've believed has had almost impenetrable def- takedown defense but is really sorely lacking in the submission defense department so i wonder it's it's, it's an interesting fight because charles Oliveira's striking has gone really good not justin gaethje good we know that Charles Oliveira could most likely tap Gaethje on a whim if it gets to yeah. the ground, and then we just get into that middle ground. Has Charles's takedowns gotten good enough? I'm not sure. It'd be an exciting fight in all three uh, elements of the sport. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of thing, too. I mean, the Gaethje takedown defense was, you know, it, I was really suspect about his ability to win that Habib fight. Mm-hmm. I couldn't really pick him for it because... There was there's an aspect to Gagey's takedown defense that was always that was always smoke and mirrors where it's like, yeah, it looks pretty good, but he's faced what four takedowns in his entire UFC career. You know, it was literally the amount of data you have on that is so thin, and everybody was willing to consent to strike with him, and then you know Khabib comes out and the takedowns happen like it it wasn't. That that idea that he would just be an impenetrable takedown stopper wasn't there. And for Oliveira, the trick for him is really kind of those upper body body lock takedowns mm-hmm. that he gets that he's exceptionally good at. And a lot of people, even fighters who are good at defending takedowns, are not prepared 
for that specific takedown because it's not the typical it's not the typical entry for you know once you're below like heavyweight and light heavyweight most people are shooting a single or a double and then they're transitioning do you think um most uh, let's say charles Oliveira, for example but mostly the lightweights do you think they sort of showed a recipe to getting gaethje down or because a lot of it was the constant pressure gaethje tried to stay in the center pivot away from the cage and habib's intensity and and, and speed there was a little overwhelming do you think that's something these other lightweights can mirror or is that a habib specialty that you're not going to see guys back up justin the way that he did well, I, I mean, it's 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 hard to tell because, and I've you know, Habib is he's a level of athlete that even other elite athletes are not on. Mm-hmm. That's always been the secret sauce in the Habib recipe, is that he doesn't look like Yoel Romero, but he's about on that athletic tier when it comes to raw speed and power, and it creates it creates those moments where like you know he he like got when he got uh gagey down it was like gage he was on like a knee and just sort of turned the corner up through a double into a body lock to take gagey down it was one of those things where it's just like who is fast enough to do that but at the same time i you know watching tape on that i was worried about that specific takedown because when gagey tries to stuff a double leg He's so he sprawls so aggressively that he's open to a back take body lock standing because he's so quick to get his hips down and flatten out that Eddie Alvarez turned the corner the corner on him in the same way and got the same takedown. He just couldn't hold him down. So, um, you know, I think there's there's something in it. Obviously, something that Eddie Alvarez was able to do, Khabib was able to do, whether that results in keeping Gagey down, whether that results in the, the exact same amount of success that Khabib had, or whether that's purely a, a mark of his own absurd athletic gifts, I, I couldn't tell you, you know? Okay. Last thing on the winners, we do need to move to our losers of the week. Kevin Holland. Okay, full disclosure, I, I did pick Jacare to win this fight. And sure, me too. In, in my defense and in your defense, I don't think anyone could have predicted that Kevin Holland would score a knockout in the way that he scored that knockout. Dude was laying on his back and threw a punch. It is absurd. Yeah. Uh, is Kevin Holland the real deal now, or is this the sort of thing that could still be exploited at a high level, his takedown defense? I mean, Kevin Holland is always going to be the real deal. Dude is keeping it 100% all the time. Yeah. No question. But... And I'm a huge fan, but there's, you know, there's a quite like we picked, we picked Jacare to win for the exact reasons that Jacare, in the exact way that Jacare lost. Mm-hmm. Like he got Kevin Holland down immediately, was in his guard, was grappling and scrambling with him. These are the exact recipes for a Jacare victory. And he's, he's notoriously durable, so we thought. Yeah. And then he gets smacked in the temple and suddenly that fight's over. But we just had Brendan Allen, who couldn't box his way past um, Sean Strickland, mm-hmm. who who tapped Holland out in a prolonged ground game. And that was a battle that Holland was winning. There's always going to be an element of wildness and an element of structurelessness to Holland that's going to that's going to lead him to lose fights at an elite level. They're just these losses are going to happen. It could be, you know. I think he's set to fight Derek Brunson right now. Like Derek Brunson could just be too big and too strong and just kind of horse him around. And that'll be the end of it. Holland's a guy who's talked about going down to 170. He's, he's a small middleweight or a thin one at least. So, but at the same time, there's also clearly a lot of confidence and skill that has been building in Holland's game. He's very much like enjoys feeling like he's in command of a fight. You see him out there, like with this thing with um, oh, the guy who hit the cool kick, jo- Joaquin Buckley. Joaquin Buckley, yeah. Yeah, you see his fight with Joaquin Buckley, and he's basically just teaching Joaquin Buckley how to fight in that fight. He's coaching him up, just being like, "Yeah, no, that's good. Throw it like this," and you know, just kind of really flowing out there. So there's definitely a great elite level command of the cage to him, but I think that. It'll be one of those things where 
I don't know that Holland will ever get to a title shot. He might be in that sort of Donald Cerrone-esque way where he's going to fight all the time. He's not going to win all the time, but he will always be fun and like a headlining type of talent. Yeah. Uh, and I think one thing about Kevin Holland's, as we wrap up on the winner section, that doesn't get enough credit prior to that knockout uh, man, the elbows that he was throwing off of his back, you know, between having the feet on uh-huh. the hips and the guard, you know, you would imagine someone would say, hey, like you're on the ground with Jacare, chill out, uh, be mindful of your position, maybe try and close your guard to get back to your feet. But I think he actually had the perfect game plan, that solution. He's sure. like, I can't contend with Jacare on the ground, so I'm just going to beat the living crap out of him. And I think that, man, Jacare took a lot of damage from a surprising position even before the KO. And I think there's a direct correlation between those elbows that he was throwing beforehand and the KO that came shortly after. Oh, absolutely. No, I mean, it's like I say, Holland's got this great presence of mind and command, even when he's doing wild stuff, even when he's making errors, even when he's doing things. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply that could get him hurt he's always he always seems like he knows exactly what's going on in the middle of chaos he always seems like he's got a plan yeah. for whatever chaotic thing is going on right now even like you look at his, his fight with tiago santos and santos was, was like lighting him up standing with these huge power mm-hmm. shots and holland would eat one and then he'd just swing like this looping clubbing left hand that would land and it would drive santos back and it was just like, even in the middle of this wild mess of a war, Holland was always still able to to know where he was and what he wanted to do. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a chaos that makes him always thrilling to watch. And it's going to lead to some great wins over, the, over time, I'm sure of it. Okay, as we head towards the losers, guys, a quick reminder, hit that subscribe button, tap the notification bell, leave a like on this video. Can't express how much that does for us as we head into 2021. And of course, I'm seeing a buzzing live chat today, guys. Leave us one super chat donation, any amount. That gets all of your questions, statements, whatever you got for us read. If you want to clown Zane Simon, hey, more power to you. On that note, let's segue into the losers, of which you are obviously not. Me, I'm not so sure sometimes. Uh, Man, so it feels like 2020 has been, has seen like a lot of changing of the guard matches. We've seen so many uh veterans fight up and comers and i don't know if that's intentional or so much a consequence of having basically weekly fight cards for as long as either of us can remember um but we've had some winners glover Teixeira is at an incredible career resurgence uh, andre Arlovsky is still ticking away and we saw anthony lanhart smith sort of shut down the doubters with his submission win over devin clark ufc 256 was not that we had Tony Ferguson lose, we had Junior Dos Santos lose, and we had Jacare Souza lose. Let's start, though, with Tony Ferguson very quickly. Uh, I think his days as a potential champion are kind of numbered at this point. Where do you see Tony Ferguson? Where do you see the, maybe perhaps this last stage of Tony Ferguson's uh, career playing out? Is it in the fun fights? Do you think he can still make it back to the title, or do we start matching him with prospects? I mean, the the lower down in divisions you go, the more and more impossible it becomes mm-hmm. to maintain contender status as you get older, you know? And Ferguson's still a few years shy of 40, but it's a few years now. It's not well shy of 40, you know? And 
I, yeah, I mean, I think he'll settle into this kind of, and it'll, it'll depend on what he wants too. Cause obviously Ferguson's a guy who always thinks of himself as a contender. So I'm sure he can settle into an action fighting role. He can Jim Miller it up out there. He can play the Donald Cerrone card, play late career Anthony Pettis. You know, we've got some lightweights who people have thought were well past their elite prime for a while now who are still going out and putting on great fights and being fun talents. But if Ferguson really only sees himself as hunting glory and hunting titles or something like that, then he'll probably just get sick of it and leave. Yeah. But honestly, I don't really like, I can't really see Tony Ferguson as a loser in my mind. Like I know he got blown out by Charles Oliveira, but honestly, when you're as crazy as Tony Ferguson is (laughs) like, there's no re there's been no reconciliation. You know, there's been no grand moment in his mind where he breaks and he's like, man, I just don't have it anymore. Mm -hmm. I can't keep doing this. And as long as that doesn't happen, then what has he really lost? You know, like he, that's, that is fighting is made out of delusion and having the level of delusion that Tony Ferguson has, like he's, he's not going to check out and be like, Oh man, I'm, you know, now I'm out here in Luke Rockhold territory where everything's going wrong. And I don't even think I want to do this anymore. And I'm just going to stop and keep getting knocked out. He's like, he, he he went out, came out of that Charles Oliveira fight, and he's like, I broke him. That, you know, like, I got a win out there. And as long as he can keep doing that, I don't know that we really have to consider Tony Ferguson as, like, we don't have to consider him anything less than a guy who's going to keep fighting, you know? Okay. Because uh, there's actually one thing that uh, Joseph Boza touched on in the live chat that I should have gone to. I should have actually put in the title. Um, so I'm just going to give you kind of a, yes no-ish question by january 1st 2021 are jacare souza and junior dos santos contracted ufc fighters uh dos santos i'm not as sure about jacare probably middleweight has enough chaos in it that i think i could see him you know, just kind of getting to fight somebody else a little lower down the division, getting a win, sticking around. I don't necessarily know that Jacare's, or if he is, if he isn't a con- contracted UFC fighter, it might be because he retired. Like mm-hmm. I don't know that I see Jacare being the kind of guy who's gonna want to go ride out and fight somewhere else. Yeah, Dos Santos is a tougher one. Um, there's still lots of fights I think he can win in the heavyweight division, so I don't know I, I, that I'd discount him entirely. But we're we're getting to the point that it used to take a better striker than Junior Dos Santos or a better wrestler. Like, you had to be kind yeah. of one of the two to really beat him. And now it feels like that bar is slipping further and further away to now it's just kind of like, are you big? Are you tough? Can you hang out with JDS and trade hands? You're probably going to catch him at some point. And um, yeah, I don't know how much longer the UFC is going to want to ride that train. I don't know that they're going to get rid of him as part of this big, like, cutting 60 people, all that kind of thing. JDS is a former champion. He's been a longtime headlining talent for the UFC. He's willing to fight just about anyone, it usually seems like. So I don't think they're going to get that Yul Romero situation where Dana White's coming out and talking about like, oh, Yul Romero turned down five fights or whatever it was. And, um, but yeah, there's definitely a point we're we're reaching that sort of nadir where these guys are, the returns have, are diminishing steeply. I'm more worried about JDS than Jacare though. Okay. Last thing on the loser section and obviously at no fault of her own. It's a story we saw play out a lot in 2020, but from, you know, John Jones, Dustin Poirier, now to Rose Namajunas. Dana White says in an inter- interview with uh, BTE Sports, I think, that we're probably seeing Li Zhang versus Carla Sparza next. Uh, a little surprising there. I think there's some other contenders that we could have considered. Anywho, uh, no disrespect to Carla. What I think everyone wanted to and expected to see, including the UFC, was Li Zhang versus Rose Namajunas. Dana White says basically... 
Rose doesn't want to fight right now. Ariel Helwani reaches out to Rose's coach, fiance Pat Barry, who says that is the farthest thing from the truth. We're not going to air it out publicly. If the UFC wants to talk, they know how to reach us. We've seen this, man. You know, either the fighter doesn't want to fight at a particular or, or can't fight at a particular time or they're not getting justified, you know, payments worth what they deem is reasonable compensation. And then Dana White's not even playing anymore. He just says, all right, screw you. We're going to move on. We can have this talk ad, na- ad nauseum. Unfortunately, we don't have the time for it today in regards to uh, how much leverage UFC now has, particularly with the ESPN deal, uh, what we need yeah. to see change about fighter rights. But we've seen more. Le- we It's weird because this time around, it seems like there's less vitriol from Dana White. Before, when fighters would start playing hard, what he would consider hardball, which is ridiculous, at the negotiation table, it almost seemed like Dana White would write them off. At this stage, it's kind of like, cool, it's not going to work right now, we'll get back to it later, but we're not waiting, which isn't right. I just don't feel like it's as personal as it used to be with Dana. Uh, do you think the two sides work this out and we get Rose versus Whaley, or do you think we're going to have to wait until mid-2021, late-2021 to see that fight? Uh, I will say this will probably... It, I would assume this probably takes longer, just because I think... I don't think Rose... Nami, I'm sure Rose Namajunas isn't in a position where she doesn't want to fight or doesn't want a title shot. I'm, you know, I'm sure that it's a money thing or a scheduling thing. The world's kind of chaotic right now, obviously. She might be like, well, I don't want to fight. I'm not ready, going to be ready to fight anybody until the spring. And the UFC's like, yeah, well, we want to make this fight for February. So that could easily be the case. Um, But I will say that I do think, and I, you know, this is something I felt like with Habib as well. Nami Yunus really gives off this vibe. I don't think she cares if she doesn't fight that much. I love that. I love that you so know? much. Yeah. Like, I, I just think that Nami Yunus is just like, look, I am a fighter. I will be fighting for a living. This is what I do. Or like, you know, even the Diaz brothers, it's the same vibe. It's just like, look, if I'm, if you're not going to give me exactly what I want, I don't care about doing this so much that I'm going to make exceptions for you. So I, you know, I expect it'll take a little while for this to get resolved. And in the meantime, we might even see Nami Yunus fight somebody else, fight a, a Yan Zhao Nan or somebody like that, where the UFC is just like, look, we've got a fight for you in the spring. It's not a title shot. If you win that fight, then sure, you can have a title shot again. But at the moment, we just, we're, we're moving on because yeah within the espn era they have content every week they need to have a show and every pay-per-view they need to have champions on it and you know so pay-per-view events have to have title fights the ufc's got champions that need booking and they're not going to wait for contenders uh really random question where do you fall on the Li zhang zhang Li debate for me i look at it as well, obviously, one caters more to the Chinese market because it's the order in which they would say the name. But for me, I kind of look at it as like, well, if we're if we're using uh, you know English language structure, I'd assume it'd be, you know, uh, it, it 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 would apply all the same all the way through. Not that it really matters. I'm just curious when you're having the conversations about the champ, which do you say? Well. I, I, you know, anybody who's listened to my vivisection podcast, small plug, the elbow. yeah, got to push it, knows that my general reaction to people's names and fighters' names is just to push through it and just do whatever I, <laughs> feels right in the moment. So, you know, if I were in the broadcast booth, if I were interviewing her, I would try to make sure I got it right to be what you know, would be most respectful to her her, because that's what really all I care about. Like, I don't, I don't need to care about it for myself. Otherwise I'm just going to say, okay. Or, you know, if somebody says to me, if if somebody started, if you'd started the conversation with Zhang Weili, Mm -hmm. I would have said Zhang Weili. Like I just would, I just will default to whatever is quickest and easiest because it's, I don't know. Life's too short for me to have to care about hey, that. Uh, what is the name of the former UFC strawweight champ who beat Carlos Barza for the title? Uh, Wei Li Zhang. But see, like, I'm looking no, right now. No, now. it's not. Oh, wait, no. 
Who beat Carlos Garza right. for the title? Who beat Joanna and Jacek? Okay, that's pretty good. I don't, yeah. I don't know how to pronounce her name, let alone spell it. Yeah, yeah. Polish, I'm actually pretty good at because you just treat half the, half the consonants as silent. Yes. Like J's and Z's and Y's and all those things. Like they just don't have any notable sound that you need to pronounce. Yeah. And then once you got that down, then you can just say Yana and Jacek. Okay, we're closing out in five minutes. Let's do a quick UFC Vegas 17 preview. Last reminder, folks, subscribe, tap the notification bell, leave a like on this video, super chat donations, warm the heart on a cold Christmas season. Okay, main event, Steven Wonderboy Thompson versus Jeff Neal. Of course, this used to be the co-main event, moved up after Hamzat versus Leon was postponed. Who has more to gain here? It's an interesting position for both guys. For Jeff Neal, this is really a chance to assert himself as a viable contender in the welterweight division. For Steven Wonderboy Thompson, it's cool because you kind of look at this as a turning point fight for him. He has that Vicente Luque win. He lost Anthony Pettis in a fight that he was handedly winning up until that point. Obviously, the two fights with Tyron Woodley, Darren Till, Darren Till, another one where a lot of people scored for him, but he came out on the wrong end of the judges' scorecards. He seems like he's in a position where he's gatekeeper-ish, but I think if he beats Jeff Neal, you can't deny him something meaningful towards a title shot. Who do you think kind of has more at stake to lose here? Steven Wonderboy Thompson, Jeff Neal. I think it's unquestionably Jeff Neal. Mm -hmm. Like, for Thompson, this win wouldn't be anywhere among his biggest wins, you know? It's like beating Jorge Masvidal is a way bigger deal. Beating Robert Whitaker in retrospect, way bigger deal. Like Thompson, you know, th- this for him, to me, this is a tread water fight. He is, if he's a gatekeeper, he's a gatekeeper to the top five. Yes. And being a gatekeeper to the top five will mean anytime you string two or three wins together, you're back in the title conversation. And, but for Neil, this is his first big shot to assert himself as one of the the welterweight elite you know he wins this fight suddenly we're talking like if if thompson's a gatekeeper to the top five then we're talking about jeff neal as a top five fighter you know suddenly he's a winner too away from title contention and that's a much bigger deal for him than for thompson who could lose this fight and lose another and still be in the conversation as top 10 guy, you know, later this year with another win or two. Like he's, he's put himself in that sort of perennial, oh, we know Thompson's elite. We know he's almost, you, you know, you basically, st- there's an argument you to spell out there that the only person who's ever actually beat Stephen Thompson is Anthony Pettis. Yeah. You know? I, I I was kind of on the fence when I asked this question, but I think you've convinced me that Jeff Neal is the one with all the gains. I see the little spark. Yeah. I'm glad that you it's, got there. It's a it is a more dangerous fight for Thompson than anything because Jeff Neal has no no name recognition, no fan love, no hype, no there's nothing there's no Jeff Neal fan club out there. So if thompson wins or loses this it's much more damaging to him whereas jeff neal loses to stephen thompson like we just saw vicente luque lose to stephen thompson and i'm still hyped about the next time vicente luque fights vicente luque is possibly my favorite fighter right now exactly Uh, that did no damage to him at all look at that you're right okay last thing uh quick shout out to chaos williams versus michelle fejea because that is such a fun fight uh you're gonna see loads of incredible striking i'm sure and speaking of incredible striking, Anthony Pettis fights Alex Morano just around the date of the 10-year anniversary of the Showtime kick. I, f- I have a weird feeling they're going to push that angle hard on the broadcast. Uh, I feel like it's an appropriate time as ever to do a little bit of a career retrospect on Anthony Pettis. Do you think he's going to go extra hard trying to bust out something crazy on Saturday? Uh I mean, he, he'll he be forced to, in a way, just because of the way Alex Morono fights. Mm-hmm. Morono's a guy who will just throw caution to the, wind. He know, to the wind. He knows he's not necessarily the best athlete in the division, so 
he he makes fights difficult and ugly and bloody and tries to go out there and really push a pace with people and make them think about everything he could do. And those are the kind of fights where Pettis can get pretty backed up and have to pull out something flashy to turn the tide. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, I think you always get something flashy out of Anthony Pettis winning or losing. He's always looking to make, he's always looking to steer the fight off of big moments. I think he'll be probably successful against Morono. I think so too. Just, because it takes a really, it still takes a really elite athlete to beat Anthony Pettis. Yeah. We saw Gilbert Melendez fight the kind of fight that I'm expecting Alex Morono to fight, mm-hmm. and he didn't win it. You know, you, and that was Gilbert Melendez. You know, we we talked about Tony Ferguson having this delusion, perhaps that you know he, he's always in the title mix. I think Anthony Pettis is someone who, for a little while, there struggled with his fall from grace, you know, he, the yeah. world was really in his palms for a moment there. He had the weedy box cover and it came crashing down hard and fast. And I think it was a tough pill, understandably, of course, for him to yeah. swallow. I, I got the feeling coming out of that Tony Ferguson fight, obviously he fought a good competitive fight. Uh, his corner called it off because he had a broken hand. I remember his reaction in the post fight. He was so gracious about it. I think... Anthony Pettis is finally at a point in his career, has been at least for a little while now, where he's cool with the understanding that he probably isn't getting another title shot. Do you do you feel like he's in a better headspace now than he was a few years ago? Oh, yeah. No, unquestionably. I think Anthony Pettis, for a while, after those losses to RDA and to Alvarez and Barboza, I think there was a point where Anthony Pettis was trying to fix himself. He was trying mm-hmm. to turn himself back into a contender by patching the holes in his game and he's even talked about this a little yeah and at some point he realized that by doing that he was having no fun at all fighting you know he wasn't necessarily winning fights he wasn't necessarily he was having inconsistent success but he was not having fun yeah and i think at some point in there anthony pettis has realized that the best way for him to to fight is to just enjoy fighting and to do what he wants and to fight the style he wants win or lose. And the fights we've seen him have since then, you know, he seems much more like just kind of willing to go out, try his game. It'll work sometimes. It won't work other times. And he'll be having fun though. I mean, I got a lot of respect for the way Pettis carries himself in the cage just because it's, there are big problems with his footwork, with his willingness to get backed up, with uh, his tendency to end up sitting on the cage, things like that that have just never gone away. But he will always try. He's always tough as hell, and he will always try really hard to win. And he'll always seem like he'll always take any fight, you know? So yeah, he's. I, I, I like what Anthony Pettis is. I like the way he's shifted away from, honestly, I kind of like the way he's shifted away from trying to be a better fighter. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, at some point, it, 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 man, fighters are in a tough predicament because it's one of those things where yeah. it's like, like you talked about the grandeur and the delusion. It's like, if you don't believe truly in your heart of hearts that you can be the best, how, where are you going to source the motivation to put yourself through the things that fighters put themselves through? And, I'm sh- I think there's a very fine, delicate balance that Anthony Pettis has struck in terms of accepting some realities, but finding motivations that still make him competitive. So th- that's a hard thing to achieve, and I commend him for yeah. it. All right, Absolutely. Zane, we got a route. Hey, where where in Alaska are you from originally? Juno. Juno. Okay, uh, my fellow Canadian Joel Pearl wants to give a shout out to Catchy Candles in Ketchikan, Alaska. Big shout out to Ketchikan. Neighbor in the south, neighbor neighbor in the southeast. All right, there we go, Zane. Uh, as we wrap up here, w- push away, push, plug the right. section, whatever you like. Floor is yours. Yeah, y'all. You can find me on Twitter at the Zane Simon. Find me over Bloody Elbow every day, doing writing stuff. All the, all that. I'm over on the Bloody Elbow Podcast Network. Uh, Bloody Elbow Presents over on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those places. Got the Vivisection every week. We break down in-depth 
two hours, one hour on the prelims, one hour on the main card, every UFC card, go through, make picks, talk about odds, all that stuff. And then after, immediately after every event, I'll be out on the sixth round doing post-event breakdown, talking about what we just saw, talking about who we want to see fighters face next, talking about how good or bad or whatever the UFC card was, all the amazing stuff that happened on any given night. So you can find me doing all that stuff. And uh, yeah, so that's about it, I think. Cool. Yes, I will no longer complain about my pre-fight, post-fight duties after hearing that laundry list. Zane, <laughs> enjoy UFC Vegas 17. That goes for... Listeners as well, more importantly, enjoy three weeks without a UFC event. Isn't that going to be nice? Oh, yeah. In in that meantime, stay tuned for the, the return of the MMA Depressed Us, where we will be diving into the best of the worst fights we can find in MMA history. Recent past, some career re- retrospectives. I know we've done a Giant Silva re- retrospective oh, and some Bob Sapp retrospectives, things like that, so... Stay tuned for that. You know, we just kind of do a MST3K thing. Me and Connor and Phil line up a few fights, watch them all, and do a live commentary as we're going. Love so, Love it, love it, love it. Guys, thank you so much for uh, checking out today's show. Really appreciate all the engagement in the live chat. Shout out, as always, to our audio-only listeners. Thank you for being the foundation of One Two Punch. Y'all know what's up. It's time for my crappy outro. This is Shaquille Madjuri, and stay tuned for everything fightful and so delightful. Peace out. Should have warned me before that. That was that was rough. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.